And I'm Chad Volkelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. Actual episode number 134. Yes. It's like we would never get here. Nope. Just kept dragging and dragging and dragging and dragging. Dan, Dan really, he really wanted it to get here. He kept jumping the gun, but... Yep. Now it's here, and we have the second part of all the May books. Uh, this month we have, uh, well, this uh, this week we have Green Lantern Corps number nine, Red Lanterns number nine, and uh, the tie-in with Red Lanterns, Stormwatch number nine. Um, and I guess I, I, I read uh, Justice League number nine, so I'll talk about that a little later, but I'll try and be, like, spoiler-free. Basically, we're covering the terrible trio plus one good. The JLA was amazing. Um, that would go. That went without saying that that one was the good one. <laughs> you know, like what was it? Issue, I think issue five, I never actually read, and issue six I didn't read from Justice League. And because of that, like I kind of, you know, I was a little bit disconnected from the series. But I've been I've been slowly getting back into it, and like last issue was a number eight with uh, Green Arrow, mm-hmm. was amazing. And now this this issue number ten, it's just like oh my god, it's like this number this, nine, yeah number nine. Uh, this was the best issue. I think this was probably the best comic I read all month. Um, which which is definitely saying something because I, I I did enjoy the Green Lantern books, the other the the good Green Lantern books that we covered last time. Mm-hmm. You know something? It just occurred to me. Dan was the one that A wanted to split everything up, <laughs> and B set up like what order we were going to split them up into. <laughs> and tonight, magically, his internet doesn't work, so he can't even be here to share in the pain. <laughs> but we trudge on. <laughs> He did. He sent some uh, some text messages on uh, his his thoughts on some of the books. So, all right, you'll have to uh, remind me to go into them. All right. We'll do. Okay. Um, you want to do Green Lantern Corps number nine first? Uh, sure. Um, this is Green Lantern Corps number nine, mm-hmm. and we've got the um. The, the team on the book, and because essentially it is a book, not a comic issue, uh, is Peter J. Tomasi and Fernando Pissarin. And uh, basically we open up with um, the Alpha Lanterns busting into the bar and accusing uh, John Stewart of killing uh, Kurt Kallak. I don't know how you say it. It's K-R-T, I believe, unless I'm not seeing an I somewhere in there. Yeah. I think it's just Kurt. Yeah. Kurt Kallick of Sector 2541. Anyways, um, this whole issue essentially can be summed up in they accuse John, Guy backs up John, Guy runs to the Guardians and complains, saying the Guardians should back up John, and then they go to trial, and some lanterns are for John, some lanterns are against John. They go up. They reveal what happened, that why Kurt died, why John killed him, because he was about to reveal the uh, entry codes to OAF to the enemies of uh, the Green Lantern Corps, and John basically spared a whole bunch of lives by doing so. So they run in, rush into Moro's crypt and try to 
you know, shatter that. And then Guy runs in and defends Kirk's body and says, you know, so if, if, if you've never felt afraid of dying, go ahead and swing the axe and break uh, his crypt and all that kind of stuff. Basically, you basically let he who is without sin cast the first stone kind of thing. Uh, and then the trial commences and um, and uh, Guy steps up and even the comic book has enough sense to say, well, John's or Guy's pretty much said all that he would say in this particular moment uh, already in this book. So we can go ahead and skip to the next scene. And uh, they're talking in the uh, uh, in, in the science cells. John, uh, Guy is telling John about the uh, events of um, what is it? Uh, Green Lantern Warrior, Emerald. What is it? Emerald Warriors. Yes. Right. Um, when he was about to kill uh, Sodom Yat, and you know John had never heard that story. The, the verdict is delivered, and it is guilty. He is sentenced to death. End of story. Mm-hmm. And there's about 5,000 words in this issue. And it is literally one of the most pointless issues of Green Lantern Corps I have ever read. Okay. Here's, here's my take on this. Um... First off, the art is beautiful, as always. Uh, it's it's stunning artwork. Um, it's growing on me. Oh, I, I love it. I I think I think Fasarin does a fantastic job. I think he always does a fantastic job. You know, month in, month out. Well, I think the scenes with the Guardians uh, chamber that that really sold me on the artwork a little more than I've been in the past. But sorry, continue. I mean, like just the way that he draws, like the energy coming off the rings, like when. When the uh, Alpha Lanterns come to pick up John, and mm-hmm. Guy has like these little like mice crawling o- all over them, and then like John's like picking them off as he's trying to calm Guy down. Uh, <laughs> it's just like little things like that. I thought it was is very cool. I, I always I'm always appreciative of the art on this book. Um, now that said, with with Peter J. Tomasi, I think I think he's a great writer. I honestly, I think he is a great writer. I think this is an incredibly well-written comic. Um, you know, I, I think that the story that he wants to tell right now, he is telling extremely well. Um, so I, I won't take off any points for that. The issue that I have with this book, and I've had it for a couple of issues, I think since number seven, seven, eight, and nine, and... Yeah, gonna go ahead and guess that it's probably gonna be the same thing in number 10 this book is not it's not fun Mm -mm. it's not fun to read and I'm not saying like I know that this is the war book and I'm not saying like war should be fun what I'm saying is that it's not it's like not enjoyable to read it's just like you know this, this story of putting John on trial over and over again you know, like he's always got a bear. You know, this he's always got a bear across. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, there's always something happening, and you know he's always under the spotlight. Like, oh, you know, we gotta focus on John. Not to mention, like this particular story. This is this is so drawn out now. Like first you had the issue where he had to go with the, go to the family. 
you know, console the family. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. So that that was kind of a, a down issue. Then you had, you know, last issue. I, I don't even remember what happened last issue. Wasn't it basically like he was wrestling with the consequences and the and the uh, Alpha Lanterns were like, you know, getting ready to, you know, take more power or whatever. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It, again, you know, it's it's a down it's a downer issue. Um, I'm does does anybody like the Alpha Lanterns? I mean, like, are the are they are they well liked characters? You're talking within the Green Lantern Corps or with with fans? With fans. No, no, of course not. I mean, like, I I don't think that I've really talked to too many people that are really big fans. Listen, if you're a listener of the Lantern cast and you're a big fan of, you know, these Alpha Lanterns, please, please let me know. Um, But I I like, I I never liked the concept. The fact that it's a, a, was it Morrison, Grant Morrison concept? Yeah, yeah. That he wanted to use for Final Crisis, and it was such a throwaway concept for him, you know, but it had to be forced in, and now it's still here, lodged around, you know. It's just, these stories are not enjoyable. Um, You know, and like, okay, I get the fact that some people, you know, read, like, sad and depressing novels because you get, like... What do you call it? Like uh, a sense of the full human experience kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is, this is a Green Lantern comic. You know, like, there should be adventure. You know, if you're going to have something like this, then give me give me something exciting. Give me something interesting. This is, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want Green Lantern, you know, Law and Order trial, SVU, you know, in space kind of thing. You know, it's... Actually, if they did that, it would probably be more interesting. But this is just like, you know, it's like debating the consequences. And, like, clearly he did this for the benefit of every other Green Lantern on Oa. Mm -hmm. You know, like, anybody could look at that and be like, okay, you know. But the fact of the matter is they have robots in charge, so (laughs) the robots don't don't look at it like that. You know, it's just, it's... It's irritating. It's irritating having, you know, to read a depressing story like this. You know, there's this, this, there's no, there was like no action in this comic. And it's not for nothing, but remember Blackest Night when John finally got over Zanchi yeah. and just, we were so happy. Yeah. And then he took out Mogo yeah. and we were so pissed. Yep. And we're like, oh, maybe we can deal with this. And then he does this. Like, how many times does John have to be this guy who makes the hard choice and then wants not not only makes the hard choice, but then carries it out and wants to face the consequences no matter what? Yeah, it's like you know, like he doesn't fight at all. I mean, I get I get that he's doing it to own up to whatever he did, and that's admirable in a character. But it happens so many times yeah. that it's kind of played out and boring. Yeah. And there's really nothing more to John's character right now than that aspect of his personality. <laughs> I I thought that after Zanshi, 
we'd finally get some development of this character. Yeah. And even if it meant going back to the way Jon Stewart used to be, like in the 70s where he's all pissed off at the white man or whatever, I would have been even cool with that. <laughs> because it was finally something else than the self-sacrificial Jon Stewart. And not for nothing, but Guy Gardner, since uh, Emerald Warriors... Uh, if you remember the best of 2011, I had voted uh, that series is very well. I, one of my favorite characters is Guy Gardner because in my mind, the way that character was developed in that series solidified him more as a character because in my mind, it was just this Guy Gardner guy who got pissed off and flew off the handle and did this and that and every, every now and then. But it really developed him as a character in that series. And it became a character I wanted to focus on. You think they're stepping backwards right now? I think they're stepping backwards. Not necessarily that he's flying off the handle and an idiot, but all he does in this issue is confront people. Yeah. He can, he confronts the alpha lanterns. He confronts the guardians. He confronts the alpha lanterns again during the trial. And it, and it's just like, there's, when your character is defending another character, how can that character that is defending the other character have any character development himself? You know, it's and and it, and it continues on in the next issue for reasons I won't go into because we haven't gotten there yet. I will say issue ten got a little better, <laughs> thank God. Um, Couldn't get any worse. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just. It's a step backward in character development, which is odd considering the amount of words and focus we have on the characters. Yeah, yeah, this is like, I mean, it's like a beautiful talking heads issue, mm -hmm. essentially. I mean, you know, like, and from the last issue to, um, I'm not, I don't think that I, I saw number 10 at all yet, but, you know, I mean, like, from where I, I suppose number 10 will pick up, <laughs> this issue is fairly pointless. Yes. You know, like, you could skip right over it and, you know, basically just save yourself some time. Um, uh, honestly, the only cool part of this issue, I believe, is the one page of uh, Guy telling John about him almost taking out Sodom yet. That was interesting because of the fact that they're acknowledging that that happened yes. and referencing Sodom Yat, which means that they'll probably be dealing with Sodom Yat at some point in the future. Um, right. But I, I thought the interesting, you know, the interesting part of this comic was when, you know, they the Guardians make a point of saying that Guy is like, you know, he's, he's basically getting pretty close to the truth when he attacks them with the fact that the Earth Lanterns are getting picked off. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, Jordan and Stewart, they were not, you know, the, 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 the Guardians are saying they weren't coerced. They made independent and emotional choices. You know, but uh, the fact of the matter is they both made choices to save the entire Green Lantern Corps. Which, by right. the way, when you're reading this, like, you pretty much know that the Guardians and Guy and John and everybody else, they don't know that Hal has a ring right now. No, nobody does. So that's... Nobody but Sinestro and Carol. That's pretty pretty interesting. 
Although the Corrigarians know. So I wonder if Soranic knows. If she's even in this comic. Have we seen her since the new 52? Wait. Who knows? Soranic Natu. She's a Corrigarian, isn't she? That's her sector. Oh. Um, yeah, but how would she know? Because pretty much half the populace of Corrigar now knows. Because they fought alongside Hal for a little bit. Why wouldn't why wouldn't they say Sinestro was here with some Earth man? You know what I mean? Um, maybe they didn't know that he was from Earth. They maybe they, they oh, just please. thought he was another Green Lantern. Uh, I'm just regardless. I don't think we've seen Sora, Sora since the beginning of the New Fifty Two anyway, so it, yeah. it's not really a likely scenario. Right. And not to mention, I mean, like, what are the odds that she's going to find out that Hal has a ring? Did she even know Hal Jordan? During Blackest Night, I'm sure she did. They may have crossed paths accidentally, but she wasn't like... She wasn't interacting with Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan had the whole, you know, New Guardians project that he was working on. So, you know, we don't... We don't even know if they've ever met. I'm sure they have. Not necessarily. Oh, please. Sora's been around since the beginning of the Green Lantern Corps, since it restarted after Rebirth. Yeah. And Hal's been along just, around just as long, so why wouldn't they have run into each other, even if it didn't actually play, take place in the pages of the comics? I mean, they had to have been aware of one another. Yeah, but I mean, like... I don't know. It, it's possible. I mean, it might have happened, but... You know, there's, there's also a likelihood that she just has no idea who Hal Jordan is, period. No, there's not. <laughs> there's no way you're a, a prominent main character in the Green Lantern book, and much less the daughter of Sinestro. <laughs> uh, yeah, and but, but she... She knows yeah, who she, Hal Jordan is. But she turned her back on Sinestro. Like, she didn't want to know... She prob- okay, she probably knows the legend of Hal Jordan, but whether okay, or not she's you, actually you met said him, she doesn't know. And not for nothing, it's the daughter of Sinestro. I would think that if she had an interaction with Hal Jordan, then that would be something that we would remember. Or that they would show on panel. The fact of the matter is, Hal has been, like, really freaking busy. Like, you know, th- those books, like, even when they crossed over... They didn't really cross over. It's only the Earth Lanterns that have had anything to do with the Earth Lanterns, you know, that that have had anything to do with Hal, really, you know, except for, like, the, the War of the Green Lanterns, and she was possessed then. I She knows of Hal. I know that much. She, she, okay, she probably, she definitely knows of Hal, <laughs> but to know enough about him to, like, you know, to recognize him or to want to rat him out to the Guardians or anything like that, Uh, hell have no fury like a woman scorned, so maybe she just wants to get back at Kyle actually, for... knowing how what? much she hates her father, and knowing the legend of Hal Jordan, if she did see him, she would probably thank him, and definitely not rat him out, because knowing how much trouble he gave her father. Right. 
Hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, like, and the same thing with Hal, though, because what Hal did, you know, he, he defeated Krona, and he saved everybody's life. But the fact of the matter is, he killed a guardian, so they took away his ring. Mm-hmm. You know, he shouldn't have been punished at all. You know, just like John shouldn't be punished at all. So they're, you know, the guardians are obviously, you know, they even say that they're they're pushing, you know, they're pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. You know, so I will say this for the art, other than that, it's growing on me. The double-page spread, uh, I guess the top half of the double-page spread, where he's standing before the Alpha Lanterns on trial, mm-hmm. and it shows the trial room. Mm-hmm. Does that remind you of anything in particular? Um, does it remind me of anything in particular? Mm-hmm. Mm, like a stadium? No, it's just something we've seen before. That particular room. I'm not really sure where you're going with this. When was the last time John Stewart was on trial for murder in a uh, room like this? Was it? Was it Mogo? No, I'm just talking about the Justice, the animated Justice League series. It was stadium seating with big glass dome roof. Oh. oh. Remember uh, in Darkest Night or whatever, where in uh, Kanjar Row was working for the Manhunters. Oh, I don't remember that. You don't remember that at all? No, that was a. That was a long time ago for me. I haven't I haven't rewatched that episode recently. Oh, I have the whole series on DVD. Uh, yeah, Kanjaro uh, put a projection over a planet. Uh, like uh, John Stewart was chasing him, shot at Kanjaro. Uh, it deflected off Kanjaro and into the planet, and then they rigged a hologram to project the planet is exploding obviously reminiscent of Zanshi from the comics and uh the manhunters put john stewart on trial to you know get the guardians to come defend john meanwhile luring them away from oa so that the manhunters could take the power that they believe they deserve back but john stewart was on trial for the murder of an entire planet and it was in a room almost exactly like this okay so it just reminds me of that room. Um, I like the uh, the prosecutor, uh, Mallet Dasim. Mm-hmm. I like him. He's cool. Um, he looks really weird. Yeah, like a squid guy. Um, what you call it? An interesting thing was that uh, I think it was Guy. Was it? No, oh, yeah, no, it was John, who's basically asking them. Where are all the rest of the footage is? It's like if my ring didn't have any any power, then how were you able to get video of me, you know, snapping his neck? So do we think that the Guardians, you know, are still recording everything even though the ring is dead? Or do we think that John jump-started his ring with his own power when he did that. Mm, I think it's more likely that it's the Guardians. Unless they have a spy in some way. Well, the, the only other person there was, uh, 
the other dude who was backing up John, the blue guy. Because mm. I like the thing that I was thinking of is like when when that happened in the comic, you know, like he he snapped Kurt's neck, and then like he like bummed a charge from their green energy or something like that, and then escaped. But like what they could be getting at more to the you know the point is that the willpower created by John when he did this, you know, like he didn't want to do this, but he he created so much willpower that he could do it, and then he did it. Is the thing that jump started his ring, and not the fact that he was bumming a charge from the key, the keepers. Hmm. I mean, I, I just think that's an interesting concept. That it doesn't actually matter. I mean, they may go into it more at some point, but um, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. Yeah. Um, so Dan, who could not be here tonight, he uh, he had some notes for this issue. Green Lantern Corps, not much happened, but it was entertaining anyway. John's at his season one Justice League unlimited trial. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. told you yeah. uh, they remind <laughs> us of Sodom and Cardor and Vath still has Izamot's legs so yeah they, they're definitely keeping with the continuity the one thing that I thought was like odd just odd was the fact that like uh, Vath first he's like it's like you know yeah you know take take Jon Stewart in he killed a Green Lantern it's like you know it's a string him up He's horrible. And then, you know, John Stewart, you know, basically, I guess he, he explains what, what happened. And, like, you know, a couple of pages later, Vath's, like, leading the charge to go destroy Kurt Kurt's uh, statue in the, the Chamber of Heroes or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, wow, that's, you know, <laughs> Vath has a lot of strong emotions one way or another. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because that page where he is finding out what John did, yeah. he looks kind of like John. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. <laughs> I was confused for a second. I had to like go back and reread. I was like, wait, well, huh? <laughs> oh, Chad, you're always confused. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Now, why don't we tackle a comic that will confuse you even more? <laughs> No. Stormwatch number nine. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. Against the might of the Red Lanterns. Okay. Um, oh, God. This is written by Peter Milligan and drawn by Miguel Sepulveda. Um, the art the art in this comic was, was pretty good. Um, I don't... Actually, this is the guy that did the cover of the last Red Lanterns issue, I think. I want to say. He either, did the cover, he either did the cover or the interiors of last issue. Because uh, you have... Um, the, God. What's this guy's name? The Red Lantern in this. Scalix. Scalix. Scalix, yeah. whatever his name um, is. He's got that, he's got almost like a mesh, you know, the, the 
Green Lantern, the Red Lantern uniform that he has, the black is mesh in, in this also. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember if it was just the cover or the interiors the last issue of Red Lanterns. Anyway, so, yeah, this is a Stormwatch. Um, it's a team. They got a few people on it. Um, the issue starts out with Midnighter in uh, the Danger Room fighting the Purple Hulk. Um, the engineer, who's another character, she kind of looks like, uh, I don't know. She kind of looks like Platinum, actually. <laughs> yeah, she does. You know, she's like a robot-type creature uh, who communicates with their ship in the eye of the storm. I guess the, the eye of the storm is the ship. Oh, God, this sucks so bad. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so Midnighter, he's training in a danger room scenario. Engineer, you know, comes in, says, we need you to go and intercept a, a lantern. Because um, they know about the green lanterns. Um, so they, they're just seeing this, this red lantern now. Um, not really sure why they're just finding out about a Red Lantern, considering that a Red Lantern originated on Earth, like, a day or two prior. Not to mention all the Red Lantern activity that happened during Blackest Night, and just after Blackest Night. Mm -hmm. But apparently they're just finding out about, you know, more than one color. um, And it's red. Wait a second, they don't even know about... Okay, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Can't think about that. So... Uh, Midnighter and Apollo, they come out of this door that they made from the ship, so they're transported directly to the United Kingdom to, uh, I guess, intercept Skalix. Um, they make a point of saying that they're not getting any backup because the rest of the team is dealing with the Vitruvian Man, um, some dude who has some kind of nondescript powers that we don't actually know what they are. Just the fact that he can vitruve himself into a giant blue energy Vitruvian self. Um, and uh, there's three three team members that are going to take him out. One is the Martian Manhunter, who in this book is a complete dick. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy that apparently can talk to cities. Um, I'm pretty sure that's, that's his deal. And a Yes, it a is. A girl who they make a point of saying is the spirit of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Like, both of those characters. Like, talking to cities... Uh, uh, it sounds ridiculous, but I've read the first six issues of Stormwatch, so seven and eight up until this point, I'm totally lost and confused about what happened. But it's cool enough to where I was interested in it and noticed some threads being dropped in uh, Demon Knights. Yeah. So it's not as crazy as you may think because there's they, they do some cool stuff with it. Um, but I I, I I get your skepticism. Okay. Um. So I mean this this oh, Jenny Quantum is the one that's the spirit of the 21st century. Who's the guy that can talk to cities? Uh, What's his name? Oh, did they even say I, his name? I don't think so. Um, Jack Hawksmore? No, yeah, they do. They yeah. make a point of saying Jack Hawksmore. Yeah, there you go. Um, 
So that, I guess that's his code name, Jack Hawksmore. They have to say that every time they want to reference him. I don't remember his name, like his hero name. Yeah, it's probably just Jack Hawksmore. Um, and he doesn't wear shoes. No, he doesn't. It, it allows him con- to connect to the city more. Oh, definitely. Uh, now that makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, with with Jenny Quantum, this you know the spirit of the 21st century. I'm kind of picturing her, kind of like you remember. Do you remember the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer stop motion things from Rankin Bass, the the TV shows, the specials? The original movie, or yeah, yeah. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Right. Well, Rudolph also crossed over with Baby New Year occasionally. Oh yeah. Do you remember those? Uh, uh, it was uh, Rudolph Shiny New Year, and wasn't it um, Christmas in July as Got well? It. Those are the ones. Yeah. And Baby New Year had the giant ears, but he had the sash because he was Baby New Year. Big, giant, curly hair. Um, and he was a baby, and he represented the new year. Um, and I think the the old year was, was an old man, you know, because the baby progresses over the course of the year. That's basically mm-hmm. what I'm picturing for, for Jenny Quantum. Um, she's a tiny little baby with giant ears that can, I don't know, do some sort of weird nebulous crap it's none of this stuff is like really well defined um Mm -hmm. it's just like it's ideas you know what's what's your power oh my my power is the idea of joy it's like you know how do you how do you portray that do you make other people happy no no I, i get my powers from the concept of joy you know it's not it's not like a ring of rage where you can direct the rage it's just you know, I'm the spirit of the 21st century. Okay. Um, yeah, so they stop him pretty quick, I guess. Um, he's not really doing anything, and he recognizes them for what they are, um, so he just kind of stops. And then Jenny, Jenny Quantum creates a black, a dark matter transport for no apparent reason, because they have to create a doorway to go back Anyway, Jack Hawksmore puts the city back together. This this comic really this sucked. This is so bad. Anyway, so back in the UK, um, Skalix is is coming in full force. Um, Hyperion, it, oh no, Apollo. That's his name, Apollo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apollo is uh, confronting him. Skalix th- throws up red vomit at him. Um, it forms some kind of hard shell over his eyes, also burning him. Um, and he gets punched hard by Apollo. And then Midnighter goes in to try and take him out. Um, <laughs> they, they fight for a little bit. Um, yeah, the Superman analog couldn't really do much, but apparently Midnighter, who's just a dude, takes out a knife and chops off his arm. Mm-hmm. Kills him, um, but they reattach the arm and it brings him back to life. So they they bring him in. Um, they keep him alive in a, a test tube kind of thing. They uh, they have the ring in some kind of protective force field. They're trying to figure out. You know, they're slowly grasping the whole concept of the Red Lanterns. Then you switch over to this Vitruvian Man guy. Apparently he's 
he's been working for the Stormwatch like team for 500 years. He gets his powers from some kind of Da Vinci inspired method for giving people superpowers. Um, and uh, he rebelled because they killed the woman that he loved. And he went into hiding, and every year he gets angry about it. So he's kind of like going nuts again because he's really pissed off. The Red Ring senses his rage, comes to uh, comes to take him, and Midnighter sees the ring coming at him and automatically snaps his neck. Uh, and just as the Red Ring is about to offer itself to Midnighter, the engineer creates a completely bullshit scenario to hold a red ring. Um, and uh, everybody's congratulating the Midnighter on such a great job for reacting so instinctively and killing him. Um, and then this, then he just kind of like waxes poetical about something and how someday they'll probably get rid of him if he enjoys killing so much, too much. And he sees Batman, and that's basically it. So, here's my issue with this comic. Ugh, it sucked. And, and the subsequent one. Um, with New Guardians and Blue Beetle, yes. there was a precedent for them crossing over. Uh, albeit a reason for why the Reach would attack the Blue Lantern homeworld, eh, a bit of a reach. <laughs> However, a reach. yeah. <laughs> However, there is a history with lanterns and blue beetles, and just going from there, great, you know, I, no problem at all. Yes. There was literally no reason whatsoever. For Skalix to even appear in this issue. No. Um, although now they have a red ring. Right. So, you know, that's something that they really love doing. They really just love throwing out rings and just like, you know, oh, will it ever pop up again? Maybe, maybe not. Just wait and see. Um. Oh, wait till Red Lantern's turn. Yeah, like, what you call it? What was it? Uh, Lobo. Lobo had a, a red ring. and uh, well, That was cool, though. Oh, it was cool, but he just kind of kept it around his neck, never actually using it. But it was his contingency plan. Yeah, it's his contingency plan, but it's just like, just, you know, it's just, it's just out there, like, are you ever going to use it? No. Yes? No. Yes? No. No. Now, not at all, because he probably doesn't even have the ring anymore. Um, yeah, so they have a red ring that they're being able to keep in check because the machine is able to simulate hatred emotions from her fingertips. <laughs> I mean, I guess that makes just as much sense as somebody having the powers of the 21st century. Um or talking to buildings, or how a Superman-type character can't defeat a Red Lantern, but the guy that's, like, 
an evil version. Well, no, not an evil version. Um, like a darker version of Batman, you know, just carries around a giant blade to chop off arms. I, I would tell you to read issues one through six of Stormwatch, but something tells me that you won't. Yeah, you won't not, have the patience. It will not happen. I, I did buy. I don't know if it was issue seven or eight, because um, Daniel HDR did the art, mm-hmm. um, and I like the art. I mean, like I kind of, you know, glanced at the story, and it was just as much bullshit. It was like this. I don't know. It's like it's trying to be really high concept and, you know, failing miserably. I, I, I guess maybe I'm just not high concept enough to appreciate it. Um, I appreciated issues one through six yeah. for what they were. Uh, I think there was a level of bullshit to them. Yeah. Um, I think some of the writing was a little disjointed in the way the characters spoke uh, and acted, but it was enough. To where when someone told me uh, uh, that I should read Stormwatch and just give it a chance, I didn't stop after issue two and just say, you know what, I can't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I continued and and ended up at least getting a good story out of it. You know, the way that this looks to me, it's kind of like, you remember when I was reading Mr. Terrific? Mm -hmm. And I told you that my major major issue was that with that is that, like, he's supposed to be the super scientist, and yet, like, the things that he was coming up with were not, like, super science level. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just, like, you just string random words together and, you know, hope that it makes sense. That's basically what the writer was doing on that book. Um, Well, that's because Mr. Terrific's a douchebag. Oh, he was. Um, (laughs) But besides that, like, uh, it's just, like, you know, it's a bunch of high concepts put together, you know, in hopes that it'll make sense to somebody or entertain another guy who really wants high concepts regardless of how little it makes sense in the comic. This is going to sound like I'm pulling it out of my ass considering the way this episode is going to be set up. Yeah. But this, this, the way you feel about this comic reminds me of the way you felt about uh, Blackest Night Secret Six. <laughs> Blackest Night, Secret Six. Amanda Waller pulling a Manhunter robot out of her ass and yes. <laughs> exploding it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least that was... Okay, well, the, the fact that that worked... <laughs> it's, it's somehow in combination with Dr. Light Bombs. <laughs> yeah. Just because I listened to that episode today, it's just, it's like I'm listening to it all over again, just about a different topic. Thanks for that, Chad. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I really love the artwork of this Vitruvian man. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Like, Especially when he's using his powerful first, yeah, force in that first scene. Yeah. yeah. Makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense. Like, But it's cool yeah, looking. It's very cool looking. Um it's nonsense. It's pure and utter nonsense. Um, but it, I don't really like the art. You don't? I mean, I, in that particular scene, yeah, I do. I like the way he looks, that particular character looks. Yeah. But especially that one-page splash of Skalix flying in, I, I don't like that. I really don't. 
I kind of like that. I don't weigh, I don't like the way that looks. I think I think that looks pretty badass. Like I I I think I would probably have a lot more respect for Skalix as a character if he looked like that more often. I mean, I I think that uh, Miguel Sepulveda. I think that there are times where some of his artwork is a little um, a little washed out, like Jenny Quantum on that page, the, like the bottom of the page with uh, mm-hmm. the Vitruvian Man. Like her face has like like no details whatsoever. Uh, same thing with uh, Jack Hawksmore. Their faces are like so simplistic there, um, but. I I wonder how much of that is, uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, wait a second. Did he do inks also? I don't know, because I was just looking at that. I think part of my concern with this art is that I, it, it could be the ink or the coloring. That's a very real possibility, because I don't know yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's what his thing. pencils look like. The, the coloring is very digital. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Alex Sinclair. I, I thought that that was a good name. I know, but like, there's there's so many there's so many places in this comic where the art, you know, just does look really cool. Um, and then there's other parts where it just looks very bland. So I mean, like, I don't know if there was some kind of balance in between. Um, I think I didn't like his art the last, was it Red Lanterns? I, whether it was the cover or the interiors, I can't remember. I wish I could remember. Uh, hold on one second. It's Red Lanterns number eight. Yeah. I had it up a second ago. I'm not sure where that is. Um, but anyway, I mean, yeah, in, in this issue, I think I think it does pretty well. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, there's so many holes in this plot as far as they would have come up against Red Lanterns. They would have seen Red Lanterns, especially Blackest Night, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you know, when Blackest Night happened or the Sinestro Corps War, I mean, like, those clearly happened in this universe. They had to have happened for everything in Green Lantern, you know, to keep happening. Um, so if those things happened at all, then they would know everything, you know, there was to know about Red Lanterns, Yellow Lanterns, Blue Lanterns, you know, you name it. They would have already seen it. Um so, so that that doesn't make any sense. Um, now, if they had known about the Red Lanterns and saw one coming and said, "Okay, well, we know what happened during Blackest Night, so let's go, you know, make sure this guy doesn't cause any more problems or whatever," that would have been believable. That would have made much more sense. Um, and even this Vitruvian Man thing—it's like. You know, it's. I guess if you've been reading, um, been reading this series, then him giving them clues about the the Shadow Lords, um, that's probably an interesting concept. Mm. But 
I don't remember enough about the first six issues to know if he showed up or not yet. Sound memorable. Well, I'm just whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not gonna defend it because it's not really worth defending, but it's not terrible either. So yeah. And then like everybody's congratulating this guy for murdering this dude, who honestly like. He really didn't deserve to get murdered. It's just that that's the easiest way to prevent him from getting the red ring. Mm-hmm. So if the engineer had figured out how to do that hand thing, like, seconds sooner, this dude could have lived. And yeah. actually, if Jenny Quantum had formed a black magic ball around him again then she could have transported him somewhere else there's like a million possible ways that they could have dealt with this without murdering this guy and they murder him and everybody's congratulating him it's like nice job for murdering that guy it's like good job murderer yeah There's really not much more to say about this issue. Let's see what Dan has to say about this issue. Yeah. Okay. I didn't actually read any of his uh, text before, so. Stormwatch. Love how dangerous Skalik comes off, but this issue was too firmly entrenched in Stormwatch ongoing stuff to make me want to read more. Good art, confusing Batman. That that was a nice way of putting it, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> too too entrenched in previous storylines to get what was going on. Yeah. Clusterfuck of craziness. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And incoherence. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It's just. It's just. Uh, okay. Now we have Red Lanterns. Which is slightly better. It is, actually. It's... it's. God. I can't believe I'm saying this. But this week... The best, best of the three? This, this week, Red Lanterns is the best of the three. Best of the three lantern books. Okay. Um, oh, boy. So we start out, uh, Blees and her Red Lantern contingent are uh, terrorizing some world of terrorizers. Um, and uh, they're doing it because they want to get Atrocitus' attention. Um, meanwhile, on Ysmalt... Uh, the Red Lanterns are confronting Rancor because they think he's the one that poisoned the battery. Um, Atrocitus comes in and stops them and, uh, and says, hey, uh, this is what we need to do. It's not him. You know, we, it's uh, a business and, uh, you know, we, we need to, you know, the battery's going to die. Um, then Bleez comes back to Ysmalt and she's like, we got tired of waiting for you. So, you know, now we're going to take over, you know. It's apparently now now is her time to 
take over the Red Lantern Corps. Um, so they, they, they fight for a while. Um, and uh, this guy, Rancor, is just like, you know, <laughs> this, this sucks. This sucks. Knock it off. Um, he tells them to stop, and then the planet starts vomiting up black. Um, he starts talking to them in coherent sentences, telling them that uh, they're idiots. Um, you know, and then Blees finds out about the battery dying. Um, they're all just kind of like weeping over the battery dying. Uh, Rancor, the who is, by the way, the Earth Red Lantern from the UK, he slips away and he wants to try and take the ring off, but even though he has a still-beating heart, um, he also has rage coursing through his veins. So, uh, you know, taking off the ring, that's not going to work work too well. Um, and not to mention, if he took off the ring, he wouldn't have a way back home. Um, so uh, he heads back to, you know, the, the main group to uh, see what's going on, I guess. Uh, then, off on the ice planet of Humb, uh, in Sector 2043, we have Abysmus just kind of like, uh, you know, talking to his followers. Um, I guess he's, he's kind of monologuing. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. He, he explains how his flaw, his terrible flaw, was the fact that he was born with feelings, um, and that made him useless to Atrocitus, you know, for, to become a Red Lantern. So he killed him and buried him, uh, and then Yasmalt sucked all the emotions out of him so that now he is emotionless, and uh, now um, I guess he wants his emotions back. So whoever brought helped bring him back to life... Um, promised to restore his feelings and emotions, uh, and all he had to do was destroy the battery. Um, so they see that everything is dying on your smalls, so they decide they have to abandon the planet. Um, they kind of, Atrocitus and Bleas kind of agree to stop fighting. Um, Bleas decides that they want to go and destroy the Star of Sapphires because they're probably the ones that did it. Atrocitus is going to go search for Abysmus and uh, I guess try and find out from him who poisoned the battery because they figure if they can find out what they did to it, they can undo it or something. Um, and, uh, you know, they talk more about crap, and they say that we will be avenged, and they, and they head off. And that's... Now, that's now, do we agree that it's most likely the Guardians who quote-unquote hired a business to destroy the Red Lantern battery? Um... I mean, out of all possibilities, most likely the Guardians? I... Of, of the players on the board right now, I would say that, yes, the Guardians are the most likely choice. Right. Because I... I mean, it, it might have a lot to do with the writing itself, not lending to a whole lot of, you know, 
subtle hints to other things, but I really can't see anyone else being a part of it. Well, I mean, yeah, they're they're throwing out the Star Sapphire thing, but uh, okay. The way that the way that I'm seeing this, the way that I'm reading this, is that they're going to go and attack the Star Sapphires. Now, as it stands right now, the Yellow Lantern is deactivated. The Red Lantern is dead. The Blue Lantern is under attack, so, you know, that's there's a good chance that that's going to fall soon. Um, mm-hmm. And not to mention, the Blue Lantern planet is supposed to be cloaked so that the Reach would never have been able to find it. Well, guess who's a Guardian right now? Gantha. The one who cloaked it, yes. Yeah. So if he wanted the Blue, lan- the, the blue Battery destroyed... You know, he could very well have uncloaked it for even a moment to allow the Reach to get a pinpoint on it. Um, Now, if the Star Sapphire battery is destroyed by the Red Lanterns, um, which I suspect that it will be, then we know that it's not not the Zamorons. And which I don't think it is the Zamorons in any way. They've kind of been doing their own thing lately. Mm -hmm. Now, that only leaves... The orange lantern and the green lantern, you know, the the power batteries left. Um, the the orange lantern, we know, Larfleeze is about to have a huge showdown with the new guardian, right. so that'll probably happen there. Right. Um, and and not for nothing, but uh, what's his face uh, had to have help getting into this universe anyway. Uh, Invictus. Invictus had to have help to get into this universe anyway. And now... And he has a vendetta against Larflees. Yes. And what better way... Like, if you can't destroy Larflees, then what's the best, best way to get back at him? Dethrone him? Destroy the battery. Essentially. Yeah, take away his love. Yeah, you, you take away his power, and right. then he's basically... Obsessed. He's, he's got a ring that he's going to have to somehow fill himself. Which I mean, since they have, you know, since the, you know, since they introduced them in the beginning, like I always said that an orange lantern should just be able to steal other lanterns' energy. Yeah. They've never really gone into that concept, but they've never had to. Mm-hmm. So that just leaves the Green Lanterns. Um, you know, they're, they're and they're in charge of their own power. Right. So they can dismantle it whenever they want. Well, I don't think that they will. I don't think that they're going to get rid of the Green Lantern power battery. I think that they're getting rid of the others to get rid of the competition. Right. Um, Yeah, the the Guardians are the only contributing factor throughout this. I mean, it's very, very... I mean, out of all the scenarios, who brought Invictus in? Who, uh, you know, resurrected a, a business? Who... Uh, is going after the Larflees. Uh, the one that's most obviously, I don't know if that's even the word, but that that is obviously connected in a very close way to the Guardians is the location of uh, Odom being revealed to the Reach. I mean, who else could do that? So it's once you connect that dot, the rest of them are easier to connect. So right. 
as far as 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 it, it, I mean, it, it pretty much at this point has to be the Guardians, right? Who brought back a business? It's, since we're talking about Red Lantern specifically, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I, I don't think that it was the Guardians who were in charge of Kyle getting all the rings. I think that was definitely Sade. Yes. Um, yes. But I agree with you. I've been thinking that for a while too. But uh, now, so basically, from from our point of view right now. Everything points to the Guardians being the ones that are pulling the strings to having these other Lanterns destroyed. Which, by the way, even with the Sinestro core battery, they allowed Sinestro, you know, they, they said, okay, you've got a green ring, you know, now, you know, go to your, your core and do what a Green Lantern does. It's basically like they said, okay, well, we have the person who's in charge of this yellow Lantern. Who better to get rid of it than the one, you know, than him? So you think that's why they kept him in the core? Yes. Not because they believed in him, but because he's the easiest way to get rid of the Sinestro core battery. Yes. Now, what about the Indigo battery, since we're on this theory? Since we're on this theory... Um... What influence could they have had there? Because we've already read Green Lantern number nine, so... Right, um, but you didn't read number 10. Yeah, I did. Well, they didn't read number 10. Yeah. So, well, maybe they did, but we're not going to spoil that. Um, well, awesome. What's it go With the Indigo Lantern, they they didn't know the location of that. Right. So that was kind of out of their oh. hands. That was like That was the one thing that they couldn't really control. Yeah, it was the wild card. And I, and I assume... Once they find Sinestro, they'll find the home world of Nock, I guess. Possibly. So. Well, the other thing is, um, what do you call it? Uh, what what Atrocitus says in this issue, and, that, and this is actually one of the reasons why um, I, I thought that this, besides the, the, the parts with Rancor, which I, I thought were pretty good in this this comic. Um, I agree. The, the parts where Atrocitus, basically, he almost has a plan to save the battery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, wait a second. Atrocitus has a plan to save the battery. So that means that this might not be, like, the end of the Red Lantern Corps. Which, I mean, like, we, we doubt that it is the, the end of the Red Lantern Corps. But we also think that it's probably more of, like, a localized, you know... Like, maybe there's a handful that get their power from, you know, some special source or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call it? You know, but if he's planning on restoring the battery, then when you look at it from that perspective, okay, he's planning on restoring the battery. At any given point, Sinestro can turn his battery back on. So that's, that's two batteries that can be, you know, powered back up again, theoretically. Now, with the Zamorans, if they do destroy that battery, well, then we already saw from Brightest Day that if if one of the, the Zamorans gives her love, then she can reform the battery. She can that's reform true. it and refill it. Um, Queen Agapo did that. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, 
you know, there's a, there's a possibility that the Guardians are, like, trying to shut down all these batteries, but then there's an also, you know, an equally likely, you know, possibility that it's only going to be a temporary thing, you know, and then the power, the batteries are going to come back online. Like, maybe they're shooting to take out these cores for their, you know, their big plan, you know, whatever, um, you know, the, the third army. Right. Um, you know, maybe they know that the batteries will come back online after they've, you know, instituted the third army, but they don't want, they don't want any interference right now. So why, I mean, I get why shut down the central power batteries because it's the easiest way to get the cores off the, off the playing field. They'll either be too busy trying to get them back online or shutting down the battery just depowers everyone all at once. Right. But why go after the Book of the Black? Because they're not going after Sinestro. They're going after Sinestro because he has. they think he has the Book of the Black. Right. Well, if you have the Book of the so, Black, then you can find out where the Indigo battery is. Oh, that's why they're going after it. They have no idea Sinestro found it. Yeah. Okay. And not to mention, like, there's also like other prophecies that I'm sure that they would love to know. I mean, there, there could be any, you know, from a ton of reasons why they would actually want the Book of the Black. Or they don't want someone else to know. That, yeah, that's, which, and that's a very good point. Which is, which makes me, which makes me laugh at the idea that all of this could be, could have been prevented or, uh, you know, confronted earlier on if someone would have just read a few pages further. <laughs> 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 I feel like it can't possibly be that easy as just reading the book. Yeah. It's probably like the never-ending story kind of thing. You have to actually live it. I guess. Um, but I, I do find it interesting, you know, just be getting back on topic, that, and I agree with you, that Rancor is... <laughs> I mean, I, I've said this before, but that Rancor is our favorite part of this book now, whereas the whole lead-up to it, we were just dreading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I will say this about the art. I can't stand the way he draws Dexter, Atrocitus, or Blees. But just the designs for the various other Red Lanterns is pretty kind of is pretty cool. Yeah, I like how creepy they look, and uh, and each time I see this character uh, Rancor, the more and more I see him, the more and more I want a figure of him. <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it is, but it, I really want a figure of him. Yeah, he's he's fairly dynamic with the hair. Yeah. Um I I'm not big on the way he draws atrocities. It's basically he draws him like a like a guy. Like a just yeah, like just like a regular that. guy. Um you know, like if 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 Captain Picard worked out a whole bunch, he would look like atrocities. <laughs> um but I, I like the way that he draws Blees. I like the way that he draws Rancor. Um I mean, there are there are little things here and there that you know I could take look at, issue. With. Look at Dexter, though. Yeah, that's just. I know. And I only say that because I mean Dan's a fan of Dexter, but I mean at the same time, can can you draw a cat? <laughs> I mean, 
just it's just a cat with a a suit a, a little suit and a ring on his tail. Is it really that hard? Yeah, I know. But I mean, like this, <laughs> like that. That's so so tiny in, in compared to you know the rest of this book. Um, I don't know. I I, I definitely like the art. Um, I thought I think a lot. I think a lot of this issue was somewhat pointless. Oh, of course. Um, I mean, like, you know, Blees and her army are off on a planet, like, just killing people to get Atrocity's attention. And then, like, two pages later, they come back to, you know, small because they got tired of waiting. Like, (laughs) that's, that's just, that's dumb. Um, Yeah. But, but that said, this book was, like, it was somewhat entertaining. I definitely, I was entertained reading this. Um, you know, out of all, out of all, all the Green Lantern books, you know, and, and tie-ins that we read, you know, tonight, that this was, this was far and away the winner. Yeah. Dan's thoughts on Red Lanterns. Uh, Red Lanterns. Rage Kitties a Ferret. <laughs> yeah. I'm in sync with Dan tonight. <laughs> Abysmus is waxing to the audience like his dad. Uh, why does Blee's think location matters? Um, every Red Lantern motivation for going to check stuff out is so dumb. First with Stormwatch and now with Sapphires. Um, which I, I agree with that. And uh, mm-hmm. he also says great cover. That's actually mm-hmm. the one that I did read. Because I made sure to ask him in a follow-up um, if he was being sarcastic about the cover. He was not. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Ten spirals out of control. But we'll, we'll we'll get there in good time, ladies and gentlemen. What did you, we'll uh, what did you think of the, the cover of Ten? Number uh, nine, nine, nine uh, rather, nine. Oh, the dead Red Lanterns? Yeah. Eh, I didn't really like it that much. You know, like, it's drawn well. It's just really dark. I mean, I get it's supposed to be. It's just dark in a way that... I, I don't have an issue it, with that. I don't have an issue yeah. with the darkness. I think I think it's drawn very well. I think whoever this artist is, he is a very good artist. Um the thing that I take issue with is Blee's costume. It's like, it's like cloth. And it's like her, the, the red part is like a harness separate from the rest of the costume. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, the, the costumes are not, first off, they're not fabric. Second of all, they're all one piece. They're like energy, so they're form-fitting. So, I mean, even if it was like this, I don't know. It's it's kind of like the guy just drew it that way because he wanted to draw it that way and not because it made any sense of the actual costume of the character. And Atrocitus mm-hmm. looks like Magneto. <laughs> so, that's that. Now, we're not going to actually cover it, I assume, but just uh, Justice League number nine? 
Right. Um, yeah, Justice League number nine. Um, you had you had a lot of stuff going on in this issue. Um, mm. You didn't read this one. I did. did. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at it now. Specifically, the uh, the faster friends type of thing uh, page. But yeah, um, I, I do remember reading this. This is this is a really interesting comic because, for one thing, they uh, they actually referenced the letter that Bruce got from uh, Barry Allen from his father from the Flashpoint universe. Um. That's that's awesome. I mean, it has nothing to do with the story. It's just a very interesting point. Um, you have a nice little team up between uh, between Flash and Green Lantern. Um, you have a team up between Superman and Batman um, and Cyborg, but he's just kind of there. Um, this this comic. Oh, and there's uh, Steve Trevor factors into it. Wonder Woman shows up. Um, this comic was so good. Like, I'm so intrigued, I cannot wait for number 10. Um, and then, and then afterwards, you have the, uh, the Shazam story, which is just, it just keeps getting better and better. Oh, yeah. man. Now, in the art and in the Shazam story, yeah. I, I know it's by the same artist, so it's, it's not like I'm going, well, duh, it's a duh Chad moment, but totally reminds me of Superman's Secret Origin. <laughs> Like it's it is it it's, it, it's uh, um, Billy Batson looks exactly like young Clark Kent, exactly like young Clark Kent. Yeah, I like it. I do too. Um, I I actually I like everything about this the story. Um, I wish I wish I, this was a comic. I wish it was a full size comic. Yeah, and it will be a zero issue. Uh, coming out uh, September, I believe. Good. It's got the final, you know, Billy Batson actually becomes Shazam or whatever they, they call him nowadays. Right. Um, I will say I did, you know, because I, you know, despite the run on Flash uh, and, and just kind of how sick I am of the way they've been going back and forth on the character and it's kind of the same old, same old, you know, you and I have the same kind of feeling on that, but um, I am a fan of Flash and I've decided I will buy the, the hardcover trade of the first six issues of the new 52 Flash to see how it went. Okay. Um, just to, you know, because I, I just, I want to give it it's a fair shake. And I've heard enough good things that I'll check it out. But I did like that they mentioned in there that, you know, Green Lantern says, hey, you know, you can clean this up in like five seconds. <laughs> and, and Flash goes, yeah, relative to you, it's going to take hours my time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like he made a point of distinguishing what his actual power set is. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do it in literally five seconds. <laughs> yeah, um, that was awesome. Um, yeah. And what you call it in the Shazam story? Uh, there's this one point where they're going through the school, and you see like this poster on the wall. It's Ben Franklin with the kite. Um, I'm going there right now. Let's see. Sorry, I have to keep. Oh yeah, I see that. Yeah, the lightning. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's a nice touch. Yeah, it is. You know, like I, I love Gary Frank artwork as it is, but I mean, you know, you throw in a touch like that, and it's like, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, out of all these comics, let's see, uh, buy, borrow, pass? <sighs> Green Lantern Core. Um, pass. Pass. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Stormwatch, ignore completely. <laughs> yeah, if there was something lower than a pass, I would say that. Yeah. Um, Red Lanterns, uh, borrow. Um, Red Lanterns, I'm actually going to say buy on Red Lanterns. Because I did enjoy it, and the art I did enjoy also. So... I've still got to see the the thing with Red Lanterns is even though the story can be good in points and I'll enjoy the art, I have just enough of a taste of uh, a bad taste in my mouth for how bad it was for so long that it's going to take something extreme for me to jerk out of that mode. Yeah. You know, yes, I'm reading Red Lanterns for the show and yet I'm still paying attention to what's going on, hoping it'll get better. (laughs) But I still have that feeling every time I open up an issue of, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Regardless of, you know, some issues have been good. You know, I, that doesn't cross my mind. It's just, oh, consistently bad comic. I don't want to read you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still – I think I still have some hope that – because, I mean, like, they gave us a couple of good issues, you know, mixed in there. Um Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just, I look at this book like I'm going to be buying it and reading it regardless. Um, and I just kind of hope that it's going to, you know, just continue to be like this roller coaster where, okay, there's definitely going to be stuff that I am not digging at all. And then there's going to be other stuff that, you know, I am going to like. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like that. You, you know, you got to take it all. Hmm. I guess. Justice League, bye, 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 bye. Oh, yeah. Of course, it's been like that this whole time. Buy two copies. No. (laughs) Don't do that. Buy buy the combo pack. (laughs) Not really any point to that, but... No, I guess not. Let's see. (sighs) Anything else we need to talk about? Uh, Not really. Um... There was one quick little thing. Oh, uh, well, you, do you have uh, James's link for that, um, for the, his, his video game? Um, I can go to lanterncast.com and get there it. There we are. Um, Knights, a superhero RPG. Um, waiting for the link. Yeah, if you go to indiegogo.com slash Knights RPG. Uh, I think I think that'll take you there. Hold on. And yep. Indiegogo.com slash Knights RPG and you can donate money to uh, well not really donate because you are getting the game if you give money. Um, James, our editor, he uh He's going to be working on a game. He's actually already working on it. There's a demo available of it. It's an awesome game. It's very funny. It's superheroes in the style of a Final Fantasy, you know, like the classic Final Fantasy games or a Pokemon-type game. 
Um, it's interesting. It's funny. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, I'm not sure if this episode is going to go up in time. Um, it's going to be it's going to be questionable whether or not people will actually be able to hear this and go. But even if you don't make it, you know, in time for this thing, when when James finally does do the game, like it's going to be something you're going to want to pick up because it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I ended up going with the uh, the audio heaven option because just from like the the preview, the you know the soundtrack to it was really good. Um, mm-hmm. Wish James would make awesome music like that for us, but uh, I don't know. I guess we have to we all have to chip in the fifteen dollars to create the, the audio heaven for Lantern Cast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, that's one thing, and the other thing was, um, oh my god, like, I was looking on Facebook, and one of my friends was promoting, uh, an artist that they were friends with. I don't, I don't... Is this, is this Supergirl? Yes. Okay. Did you see that? I did. Okay. If you go to Facebook, and... Uh, I guess do a search for Tess Fowler. Um, her Facebook is, uh, it's go to facebook.com slash D Inc Inc. And that's ink with a K and then ink with a C. So D I N K I N C. Um, after the facebook.com and then a slash. Um, or just search for Tess Fowler. She's an artist on Facebook. Um, she sells some of her art on Etsy. Um, that Supergirl piece that I posted, which is so gorgeous, like, I saw that and I'm just like, oh my god. Like, I instantly realized, okay, I definitely have to own art by this girl, because her art is just so amazing. Um, so I, I contacted her about, uh, you know, commissions and whatnot, um, and then I went and bought the Supergirl piece off Etsy, because <laughs> I, I definitely had to have that. Um, yeah, so do a search for Tess Fowler. Um, you know, once you go to her Etsy shop, you will unfortunately not see Supergirl, because I now own her. But, uh... (laughs) That sounded bad. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, she's got a lot of other art still for sale on Etsy, and she takes commissions, and her art is amazing. Um, Tess Fowler, I think, I think she's, she's... She could very well become very, very popular and very famous. Art is absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. I'm on Etsy right now. She's got what? Uh, four, eight, nine, ten. Well, eleven pieces up right now. Um. Okay. The yeah. uh, the parasol one, the blue parasol, is is also pretty amazing. Let's see. Um, I'm looking at, I'm looking at feathers. That's really cool. That one's cool. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty cool. She did a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, this giant art piece that was uh, an exclusive for, I think, San Diego Comic-Con last year with, uh, it was like the whole royal family where it was, it had, uh, Prince William and the the princess that just got married, and 
uh, Harry, his brother, um, and I think Pippa, which is her sister, and they're fighting off the rest of the royals, which are zombies. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty crazy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the way that she draws faces, um, even if you don't want to buy any art, just go check it out, because, yeah, Tess Fowler, T-E-S-S-F-O-W-L-E-R, um, definitely somebody to check out, and I definitely, you know, I definitely wanted to promote her. For sure. Always promote artists. Always, always. And I'm still waiting on my uh, commission from uh, Tom Wynn, so I will let you guys know when I get that Starfire from him so we can uh, post that up and... and and hype him a little more. So. Oh, and uh, actually, that's. I'm glad that you brought that up because we finally uploaded a bunch of your sketches to the website. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the gallery on lanterncast.com, you can uh, click on Chad sketches, and uh, now it's you know it's got a, a big new update. It, it was like there was a lot of art in there. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going. I think I've got some more from Free Comic Book Day. I need to scan and get to you at some point. Yeah, a- I'll just wait till I, I, I'll just wait till I get to the Tom Wynn sketch before I do that, though. But. The uh, the Firestar by Adam Withers. Uh-huh. I mean, even like the Hal Jordan by Tom Wynn is is amazing. Um, wait a second, why isn't this working? Firestar by uh, Tom uh, Adam Withers is my favorite piece I own. No offense to any <laughs> uh, artists I have in my current collection, but it, it, I, I am uh, I am racking my brain trying to figure out other stuff I want from Adam Withers. Um, uh, the the Phantom Stranger by Harold Jeanette. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's awesome. The the Red Lantern Venom. That Chara Bar did. The uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The first one was cool, but I mean, it was it was basically just Venom with a Red Lantern symbol on him. The second right. one is like, is just insane. Yeah. None of these sketches seem to be working right now. And Scott Collins' Black Lantern Firestorm. That was up before, I think. Yeah, yeah, but. that one was up. Even the Chad Ciccone White Lantern. Is that a sketch card? Uh, yeah, the White Lantern Batman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got that for buying, um, uh, you know, at Super Show, you had to, you bought a certain amount of, uh, worth of stuff, uh, from Action Lab, and you got a sketch card. Oh, man. Of your choice by Chad Ciccone. I, I got, um, the Con Edition of Fracture or whatever, and something else, and I got that. Mm-hmm. I, I just told him what I wanted, and he did it for me. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. A little Firestorm by Katie Cook. Mm-hmm. And Dead Man, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No Phantom Stranger from him by Katie Cook, though? Uh, no. Uh, that, I mean, I, I plan on having sketch cards of all my favorite uh, DC characters by her eventually. Uh, but I kind of I don't want to send her an email and just be like, can I just get a crap ton of sketch cards? Uh, I want to get this, this, and this. Like, I, I feel like that's something you should get at a con, not, like, contact the artist and be like, uh, I don't really want to commission. I just want a bunch of sketch cards. <laughs> well, she doesn't 
I don't think she really does too many commissions. Right. You know, anyway, by mail. Um, That's true. She's very busy. So. Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, so, yeah. None of these seem to be working right now. Not really sure why. But, uh. They're not working for you. They're working for me. Are they? Oh, now they mm-hmm. are. Now they are. Wait, some of them are. Firestar by Adam Withers. That one's still not working. What? Let's see. I'll click on her. No, she's not working. Okay. Well, we'll fix that in time for the show. All right. Okay. And that's it, I suppose, unless there's something else. I can't think of anything. Oh, wait. Oh, no. There was one thing. Okay. We did get an email uh, from one of the listeners. uh, Okay. And he wanted us to read it for episode 133. (laughs) But since that one's already recorded, um, it's all about, uh, wow, man. It's a long email. Um, Who's it from? Scott Pike. Sorry, I'm, I'm entering the uh, thing now. Okay, here we go. Whoa. Yeah, this is long. Okay. You know what? We'll, we'll tackle this next one. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. You're getting delayed again. Although, honestly, I think after he listens to... Um, Wait a second. 132. Um, what did we talk about last episode? Uh, hodgepodge of stuff. Okay. So we probably didn't cover this. Okay. Well, whatever. We'll talk about it now then. Um, Scott Pike wrote, Alan Scott Gay, how much does this and the new 52 mess up what Jeff Johns had planned for Green Lantern? First, Alan Scott was the first Green Lantern being gay. Wait. No, not first. Alan Scott, the first Lantern <laughs> being gay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, on that topic. I don't care one way or the other much other than I prefer my characters to stay the same orientation as they start with originally. If people don't like it, that is what slash fan fiction is for. However, I am slightly more concerned with how this changes the, the history of other characters like Jade and Obsidian. In addition, how their history affected characters I liked like Kyle Rayner. As I'm sure we all know, Alan Scott was a mentor to Kyle when he got the ring. Kyle dated Jade, Alan's daughter, before she cheated on him, and she was one of the three women in Kyle's life that were killed by bad guys. And of course, in the pre-New 52 universe, it was Jade's face that the Star Sapphire-inspired vision showed to Kyle was his love or whom he feels more for rather than Saranic Natu, the Green Lantern Doctor who is Sinestro's order. Actually, you know what? Wow. Finish the email first. No. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to take a picture because I just realized that... That issue where they dealt with the whole Ceranic and, you know, Kyle and Jade thing, mm-hmm. they fit that in, like, one issue before that series ended because of the fact that Jade was just disappearing into the ether. 
Like, they could not, they would never be able to deal with that plot line again afterwards. That's why they rushed it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, He continues to say, So I guess the gay thing isn't that big since most of the issues I brought up came up anyway, since in the New 52, the effects of the crisis of the infinite Earths, the merging of old Earth 2 with Earth 1, and the outgrowth of that, infinite crisis seems to be negated. Apparently, Flashpoint erased the old 52 characters and their effects from the main DC entirely. We no longer have a mentor, Alan Scott, Jade as a dead resurrected by White Lantern former girlfriend, no Donna who, as an in-story, admitted anomaly because of all her separate origins from different storylines, no Superboy Prime who was created in Crisis on Infinite Earths and stared in, starred in Infinite Crisis and Sinestro War, Superboy Prime was a cool character, and now he doesn't exist alone with Jade, Donna, sister of Wonder Woman, Power Girl, the original Earth 2 Supergirl, before they restored 52 and the new 52 versions. Did Crisis 1 and 2 even happen in this new timeline, and if they didn't, then how does that affect the Sinestro Corps War, since many major players from those Crisis crises were involved in it? Anti-Monitor, Superboy Prime, Cyborg, Superman, to name a few. Um, take a break for a second. Um, Cyborg Superman, I think he could he could step, definitely still be around. Um, Superboy Prime... I mean, if the original Crisis didn't happen, then Superboy Prime wouldn't exist at all. I'm pretty sure in, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth still happened. I think I read that. But Barry somewhere. Allen is alive. And so um doesn't necessarily mean rebirth was negated. Hal Jordan's rebirth wasn't negated. But there was the, Which, now there's no uh Earth Earth 1 Earth 2 didn't merge with Earth 1 though. There's no there's no justice society on this earth. Which would imply that there is no crisis that happened. Anyway, um, Superboy Prime is probably still on another Earth. He just hasn't become crazy yet. Um, they really didn't do much with uh, Jade as a White Lantern. <laughs> or you just don't remember. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, no, that sucked. <laughs> okay, I blotted it out. Wow, okay, good. Okay. Plus, didn't some of Jeff John's plans involve Alan Scott for After the Blackest Night and Brightest Day arcs? Like the idea that the Guardians were going to turn on the Green Lanterns, wasn't there a vision involving Alan Scott and some other magical types being judged or something by the Guardians? He must not have listened to 131. That That's that's all I can think of. Because um, I'm pretty sure that I definitely got, went into that. Maybe I went into that yeah. last episode? Um, on what? Well, like the whole concept of um, Alan being, you know, in that um, origins and omens thing, vision. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we went into that. 
Um, and just on the subject of crisis, um, I did find a story from Comic Vine uh, where they reposted something Dan DiDio said on his Facebook at the time of the New 52. And this is a little bit of a long paragraph, so pardon me. Uh, quoting Dan, For those in crisis over crisis, let me clarify. The topic of crisis was much discussed among the editors and talent working on the New 52. With so many characters and histories restarting, major events like Crisis are harder to place when they work for some and not for others. That was one of the problems coming out of the original Crisis. While we are starting approximately five years into our heroes' lives, we are focused on the characters' present and future, and past histories will be revealed as the stories dictate. Yes, there have been Crisis in our characters' lives, but they aren't exactly the Crisis you read before. They can't be. Now, what this means for the characters seen and unseen, well, that's the fun of the new 52. Infinite stories, infinite possibilities with the best yet to come. So, a bit of a party line, a bit of a kind of uh, enigmatic uh, statement there that's not really revealing too much, but he does say that, yes, there have been crises in the past, but... No. What exactly? He said that there have been crises in the characters' pasts but not the same across the board, which means that they've just come up with against, you know, a crisis. It's not a crisis in time and space and didn't merge all the universes into one. The crisis as we know it did not happen, but something happened to get the characters to where they need to be. Mm. Anyway, um, Scott goes on to say, maybe that's Trinity war. I, I doubt it. No, absolutely not. What they're going to do is they'll probably have another kind of crisis, you know, in a year or so. And that'll be the next event. Um, but they're, they're probably just chomping at the bit to, to do something like that. Because as soon as we see, like, you know, as soon as they show the anti-monitor or a monitor or anything like that, you know, anything that evokes crisis whatsoever, they know that they're going to capitalize on that. Everybody's going to go nuts. Anyway, Scott goes on to say, Sorry if this email is a little incoherent and very ranty, but I just needed to share all these points with fellow Green Lantern fans who would understand all my points. I don't mind history changing so much as how this new 52 has removed so important and very cool characters and character history development points from characters like Kyle Rayner from GL History and DC History in general like Donna, Power Girl, and Superboy Prime. Uh, please discuss this on the show. Your fellow Lantern, fa- your fellow fan, Scott Pike. Yeah, I mean, I think we... If we didn't deal with that on an episode that came out, that it was definitely 133. Yeah. Um, and forgive me, but I did a little further research. But uh, Dan DiDio specifically said on his Facebook page, and this is just a short, much shorter quote, uh, replying to someone's question about crisis, brace yourself. But after further review, there have been no crisis events in the new DCU. Right. So I'm just, hey, I'm just clarifying. Listen, you've been known to be wrong before. I I knew it. So sorry, Chad. I knew it. <laughs> Should have posted a blog about it first. I knew it. You blew it. That's it. The end. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, if you want to email us, you can do so at lanterncast <laughs> at gmail.com or uh, individually at lanterncast.com, jim at lanterncast.com, chad at lanterncast.com, uh, Dan, James, and Jason also have email addresses. Um, <laughs> it's their first name at lanterncast.com. I figured that was fairly explanatory, but... Um, if you want to go to the website... They also have email addresses. Yes, I won't tell you. You can go to the website, lanterncast.com, and if you do that, then you will find links to our gallery, where you can find all of our sketches and whatnot. Uh, you can go to our forum from that page. Uh, we have a Facebook page, a Twitter, um, all the stupid media that nobody really needs. We probably have one. We don't have a Tumblr yet. We're not going to. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really see that working out too uh, for us too well, <laughs> considering how often we actually update the Facebook page and the Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, we are also uh, available on iTunes. You can find us there and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined, and uh, we would appreciate that. And uh, mm-hmm. our email is not email. Our voicemail is seven zero eight lantern. Um, and we might actually play some of those someday. Yes. Yeah, we have the desire to play them. It's just that we're incredibly lazy. Jim lacks the will, I, oddly enough. I, I, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I focus my willpower on so many other things in my life. Um, like pushing your way through an, <laughs> an issue of Stormwatch. Basically. Listen, <laughs> there's only so much willpower that I have, you know? It's a 24-hour charge. <laughs> I'm afraid the voicemails just come up at hour 25. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is to it. Uh, go check out Tess Fowler. And look up James and give him money for his video game. <laughs> are we done here? A classy. Which are we done? We're, we're done. Good. The end. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Good night. <laughs> was just listening to episode number 52, 52. of the lantern cast yes sir yes. and um in that episode do you remember what took place uh what, what the subject matter was yeah off the top of my happen head to recall yeah i happen to recall in any capacity whatsoever uh 52 i mean i feel like we would have talked about some sort of parallel Earth thing. Mm-mm. No. Well, give me a hint. You spoke... Uh, um, let me see. Um, a hint, a hint, a hint. Yes. Uh, you, had, you had a lengthy debate on religion in some capacity. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, now I don't know. It was the wrap-up for Blackest Night. Okay. Talk. Uh, and the lengthy debate on religion was because the um, entity's origin was revealed. Okay. And you were discussing what your diverging points of view and what the history behind the compassion entity yeah was whether whether it was Christ or the um, offering of you know uh, the end of the flood or whatever my question is in that you very clearly and it's also very clearly in the book laid out that the first creature microorganism whatever that felt the need to move and did so, that exhibited willpower, became Ion. And then the first insect, in this case, that felt fear in a fight-or-flight way, became Parallax. Now, these two instances, for sure, very clearly laid out that these are the beings, the creatures, the entities, whatever, that actually felt the emotion and then became... The, uh, the the entity they were of the emotion they were exhibiting. Okay. Why then? Why then do you believe? Do either of you believe that compassion being shown to everyone was a result of either the flood ending or uh, Christ dying, or even in in any regard, um, Adam and Eve feeling love leads to a dinosaur type being turning into a love entity? Because if it's very clearly laid out that the first creatures who felt these emotions became these entities, why would why would like two humans or s- such feeling these emotions create an entity out of something nearby? Okay, well, um, it's a, it's an interesting point, but the thing the thing is with with rage, like that one, you know, I think we we pretty much attribute to uh, Cain and Abel, right? Right. Um, yeah. You said the fattened calf somehow became the instrument of rage. Well, why couldn't it just have been a bull going nuts and plowing into somebody and impaling them with his horns? Just blood splattered on the ground on that happened to end up on a rock. Well, it could be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, like it, you know, why? Uh, okay. It could be a random bull feeling rage. It could be a random squid feeling compassion. I mean, you know, maybe there's a a dinosaur that felt love towards another dinosaur. Listen, there's there's no there is no you know definitive answer until they you know give us one. But you know, the other thing you have to look at is <laughs> like. With Ion, you know, it's the first creature that moved, which was basically like a microorganism that just kind of morphed into this enormous whale, which was like, you know, I mean, the microorganism wasn't a whale. You know, it, it, it changed when it became Ion. It became something much bigger and it was more symbolic of what it was than, you know, what it actually used to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because this microorganism, you know, wanted to move, 
then, you know, it, it started moving through the water. Now, what's a creature that moves through the water? You know, that would be a fish, a whale, a shark, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, that's why it took on those characteristics. Now, you know, with a bug, you know, the bug, you know, inspired fear, felt fear, whatever. Um, so, because of that, it morphed into this this enormous, like, just completely, you know, bizarre, you know, bug-type creature. Um, now, with love, like... You know, again, it's we're not saying that it's Adam and Eve, but it could have been created when, you know, like when two people fell in love, this creature was created from that union. And, oh, that's the other thing. Like, you know, it's being created from a union and not one person, you know? The concept of right, love but then- being that, you know, it's not just one person that loves. It's two people that feel love for each other. Right. But what I'm what I'm saying is it's very very clearly and this is something that we can't debate because it's so clearly laid out that with Ion and Parallax at least they became something more than what they were but were still resembled what they were before. Yeah, but so so why why would a snake rep, you know obviously in a tree with an apple yeah that symbolism very heavily indicates Garden of Eden and then the temptation of Eve. Right to eat the apple. However, the snake is the not the not necessarily the one who felt greed. Well, I guess you could. I mean, cuz I have enough history with 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 the Christian Christianity to know I guess technically yeah. Satan could be described as having greed. But Right, but also, you know, it's But we're talking squishy and a, you know, all that kind of well, stuff. Well, you know, it, you know, you, you go further. The was a hope was from the flood. Um, oh God, I'm trying. I, since I don't have that that issue in front of me right now, it's, it's, no, no, I, I remember. Have, uh, let's see. Uh, first, your uh, willpower, then fear, then love, mm-hmm. then uh, rage. No, then avarice. Oh, then avarice, then, then rage, rage, then then hope, hope. then compassion. Compassion. Now. Right. Um, now, with love, it's being created from two people, and, it, you know, it's somewhat humanoid, but it's, um, you know, it's like a, an extrapolated version of that, you know. Um, with rage, it's, you know, it is the, the symbolic of the bull, um, the fattened calf. Now, why that was the, you know, the symbol, I don't know. Um but as far as, you know, as Squishy goes, like, we don't know. We don't know at all because they don't actually show that one happening. As far as I remember, that's just like like a blinding indigo light. Am I, am I right? Right, it's just, yeah, it's essentially, you remember the first panel of Blackest Night Zero where it was just dark and then this burst of green? It's essentially the same thing. It's just a burst of indigo. Was it a starburst? Like, did it look like a cross at all? Yeah, it looked like a starburst, but I don't remember whether or not it looked like a cross. Because if it looked like a cross, then if you have a cross and you extrapolate what animal that would most likely look like, it would look like a squid. Right. So. So you're saying the 
the crucifix that Christ was crucified on became a squid. It's a possibility. <laughs> you realize how ridiculous that sounds, right? I'm not. I'm not accusing you oh, I, specifically. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's absurd. I mean, just like you know, it could possibly be from the flood, the compassion of you know of God, whatever, um, to you know to not kill everybody and to save the people on the flood, and maybe he had the squid go and save them, you know. You know, maybe he took the form of a squid. The thing is, like, the only, you know, the only flood story that I'm familiar with is the one from the Bible, you know? Uh, there are countless flood stories yeah. throughout. They, they I know, I'm just, I'm just saying. It's just that I don't know what they are. So I they, think there's a, a an old uh, Indian legend that uh, there's a flood and the surviving humans were carried on the back of a giant turtle. I think that was one of them. Oh. But most cultures have a flood story. Well, I mean, maybe if there's a story where the, you know, the last humans were saved by a squid, maybe that's what they're going with. I don't know. But, right. you know, it, it, it could be that. It could be the fact that, you know, the cross, you know, you bend it, and all of a sudden it starts looking like a squid. I don't know. Is it ridiculous? Absolutely. It's preposterous. But symbolically, that's probably what they're going at. Right. Now, and that was just something I wanted to throw out there, because it just seems so odd to me that if they're so clearly laying out that these first two were, you know, rent, you know, evolved forms or renditions of the beings that felt these emotions and then became entities, then why would some creature nearby something that was feeling it suddenly take on those attributes. That, that was just something I was confused on. Now, the other thing, this is why I really wish Dan was here because he's the one that was more touting this theory about the entity of life right. showing up and that, where did that come from right. and how Jeff Johns really laid out the groundwork of that. There is questions of where it came from, how it came here, who sent it, uh, you know, Necron calling it trespasser, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. We're about to see the rise, uh, the return of Black Hand, the revenge of Black Hand, and no spoilers because we're only talking about issues nine in this particular episode, but there's stuff happening there that could lead to a kind of mini Blackest Night Part 2 kind of a thing. And it kind of got me thinking, what could Trinity War possibly have to do, maybe possibly have to do with this life thing you know, like how does this green lantern aspect tie into what's going to be happening with trinity war because we saw the origins of three uh, essentially you know religious type of figures i mean pandora is from mythology uh judas is uh, from christianity you know these and then this this whoever the question may be uh and then we're talking about this council of Shazam or whoever the heck these guys are. These, they look like all powerful type of beings, uh, maybe taking on the powers of elementals or something. Uh, one of them looks like he's wearing a cloak made of water. Um, like how does, can you, first of all, can you see a storyline involving Trinity war? Like see a connection there between, 
revealing some stuff from Green Lantern that we've been really, really waiting on since Blackest Night. Yes. And Trinity War. Yeah. And it, because you're usually the one who picks up the threads of very, very obscure things that you well know could be absolute crap, but you see it anyways. And I don't see it. Okay. I think that there is a... I'm going to say uh, an 80% chance, 75-80% chance, that they're not going to touch on the Green Lantern mythos history, like in Trinity War. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to keep them separate. However, I can definitely see a number of possibilities where they would connect them. Like, for instance, you know, like the first thing that you have to look at is whoever the question is. Now, we don't know who it is. We have no idea. We do have a guess, and what a lot of people have been guessing is that it's uh, Kane. Okay, because in the rebooted DC universe, we do not know if Kane is actually Vandal Savage. Have we seen Vandal Savage in any capacity in the new He's PS2? been in, uh, what do you call it, um, DC Presents or something like that. Oh, I kind of dropped off of that one. Yeah, like he's actually been focused on like the past two months. So they could be focusing on him for that reason. Um, additionally, I think there was some storyline where Vandal Savage passed the mark of Kane onto the question. Okay. So I don't know. Like that might be an effect also. Um, but basically. If you're going to have a story with Cain, then... Or even if you're going to have a story with Judas, because, like I theorize with the Indigo Entity, you know, like, either of those two stories, you know, are still related to the entities of Orange... Uh, not Orange, uh, Red and uh, Indigo. Mm-hmm. So you have you do have that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that, you know, the white entity, you're talking about life, you're talking about the the white entity that all life is derived from, if you have this council of Shazam, you know, that's supposedly very in tune, you know, most likely in tune with the Earth, we'll say. They look like it. I mean, Elementals did play a role in Brightest Day with the entity. Right, right, that too. So, you know, there could be... Oh, that's a thread. Sorry, I just remember how the elementals looked in Brightest Day and how connected they were with life itself and bringing about the return of yes, you know, yes. uh, Swamp Thing and all but that. By the same token, Firestorm is now like completely out of that loop 100%. I know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that elementals weren't around before. Oh, they were definitely... Elementals have always been around. Right, that's what I'm saying, though, is why can't these beings have channeled that... Plus magic, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there are definite connections. Like you know, they so they could have a connection to the white entity. They could have a connection, you know, to anything like that. Um, there's there's absolutely ways that they could tie the Trinity War into the Green Lantern mythos, which, like I said, you know, it's like if there's a seventy five percent chance of them not doing it, you know, because. It's unlikely, and they'll probably want to just focus on Shazam and, you know, and the Trinity War and, you know, boosting the JLA. But the fact of the matter is the Green Lantern 
section of the universe is it's getting bigger and they know that they can bank on it and anytime you you tie green lantern into a you know an event you know that you know the green lantern fans are going to come out in force so you know there is there is a shot there's a shot that they'll they'll connect it yeah i was just cuz this is exactly why i wanted dan in because specifically I, I again listening to the episode you weren't really sure that they would actually pick up the threads of bringing an or you know providing an origin of as to where the entity came from and dan was dead set on yeah they're going to do it <laughs> so yeah i mean like that's the kind of thing where way back when um, I can't even remember it. Was it a? Uh, wasn't Final Night? Uh, Omega? I don't know. There was an old storyline where all the superheroes, like, I think they lost their powers at some point, and the reason was because like there was some kind of Omega wave uh, or an Alpha wave or something, and they all had to go to the source, and then they went into the source, and... That's not Genesis, is Yes, it? yeah, that's it, the Genesis event. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and they actually went into the source. And, right. you know, and that, that, that event sucked. It was crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the event was basically just crap. Um, I think from that event, uh, Darkseid ended up on the source wall. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he was he was condemned to the source wall for – and it wasn't for that long. I mean, you know, eventually – dark side. Yeah. You can't get rid of him. Somehow he's the only one that made it off the wall. Whatever, whatever. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you have something as, like – something as a high concept as the source wall, sometimes it's better not to define it. You know, like, there, there was, uh, I think with 52, they said that the source wall was connected amongst every universe. Like, you know, if you were to cross the source wall, you would go into, an, you would be able to cross into another universe. But no man can do that, you know. And I think, I think that's an interesting take on it because, you know, you're not, it's like you're still keeping it fairly high concept and, you know, it's... Like, you know, making the source wall the boundary of the universe and then right on the other side are other universes. It's like you don't – you still don't know anything about the source wall. You just know that it's a boundary. Mm-hmm. You know? Like you don't know who created it. You don't know why they created it. You don't know. You know, it's like it's better to know as little as possible about stuff like that. So like the white entity, you know, like – yeah, we can theorize that it came from another universe, but you know, when it comes right down to it, like any theories that we have on a high concept like that are invariably going to be better than anything they could ever come up with. Right. So, I guess that makes I guess the reason I asked now is because it's just been just enough time since Blackest Night that pulling something like that out of their ass would make sense, you know, like if they did it any later, it might be just too late. So I was just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they could bring it back whenever they wanted. It's, mm-hmm. you know, that's not really an issue. But, and I'm sure they will at some point. 
can't leave well enough alone. Right. Are we good with this topic? Yeah, we're good. I just thought, thought it'd give us some, some interesting little stuff for people to listen to at the end of the episode. Sounds good. You were recording, right? Yes, I was. Because <laughs> you weren't last time. No, I know this time. This time I, I got it. I got my head on straight. <laughs>